0: I was much affected by my father's death as a child and I think it, uh, it had a big impact on my self-confidence. You know, in those days, schools were not exactly diverse. Um, I was very aware of the fact that I was the only child in the whole school who didn't have two parents. I suppose the way I dealt with it was that I applied myself to my academic studies. She's the original
1: city girl. Born, schooled and worked all her life in Joburg. And it's here, in South Africa's city that never sleeps, where environmental affairs minister Barbara Creasy found her voice as an anti-apartheid activist and sharpened her political teeth. Creasy has been a cabinet minister for a few months now, but not much is known about the fierce and forceful woman who spent half her adult life fighting the oppressive apartheid government and the other half serving a democratic South Africa. My name is Mia Lindiki and in this podcast series, I will be looking into the intricate lives of some of South Africa's most resilient politicians, how they carry responsibilities that come with their work while juggling their own personal struggles. I find myself on the steps of Wits University, Overlooking the busy traffic on Jan Smuts Avenue. The steps are cold, and I've bundled up my coat to use as a cushion to keep out the chill. I'm a little embarrassed that I have to ask the minister to sit on the floor, but Barbara Creasy seems not to mind at all. We sit in the shade, trying to find some privacy and to block the noise of morning traffic. Hello. How are, you? Nice, how are good, you? Good. Nice to call you, Minister. Last time we spoke, you were still in DC. Yeah, uh, morning. Future. Morning, Are you well?
0: So, shall we do it there, where you yeah. can see
1: Witz? As see we today. set up, students make their way to the top of the steep hill to access the campus. The minister stands out, wearing a vibrant red coat. The moment is a little ironic. It's here at Witz, where she once fitted in as a student but simultaneously stood apart. It's been a recurring theme in her life. Sitting in the spot where her political career kicked off, she's instantly reminded of 16th of June 1976. Back then, she was a political science student with a placard in her hand, protesting. At
0: lunchtime on the 16th, we heard over the student radio that students in Soweto had been protesting over Afrikaans medium of instruction, and the two students had been killed by the police. And after lunch, uh, we had a political science tutorial in the afternoon. And when we got to the lecture theater, our lecturer said to us, today, uh, we are not having a tutorial. We're all going out onto Jan Smuts Avenue. Two students were killed in Soweto this morning and we're going to protest against police brutality. And we came out here. In those days, none of the structure actually existed. It was just flat from the gardens onto Jan Smuts and we lined up uh, opposite this building here with our placards and it didn't take too long before the security police arrived. We took a decision that we were going to meet up with the students in Soweto who were marching into town. Of course, we never made it that far, but that was my, my first experience of student activism. And uh, in many
1: ways, those three days have shaped my life. It was in the height of apartheid, and most white South Africans had it easy. But Creasy realized from an early age that what the oppressive government was doing was not right. She was politically conscious from a young age, something she attributes to the influence of her father and grandparents. Although her father grew up in the UK, he had strong connections with South Africa. He was an activist, Communist Party member, and a follower of Mahatma Gandhi. He spent three years in
0: prison during the Second World War because he refused to fight. My mother's... Parents had been trade unionists, so it was a very political family that I grew up in. Every mealtime would end up with books and encyclopedias all over the table. There would there would be a debate. My mother was very articulate about the fact that apartheid was wrong, that what was happening to black people in this country was wrong. So I suppose when one, one got those views at a very early age. I can remember seeing men and women herded into the back of police vans for nothing else other than not having the right stamp in a passbook. and i can remember at that very very young age being very outraged by that um, so i suppose by the time i came here i had decided to study political science and i was looking for this kind of
1: activism greasy lost her father when she was just eight years old her mother had to stand in as both parents. She escaped her sadness by reading. Her brother chose another outlet. He was the rebel, always pushing the boundaries.
0: I was much affected by my father's death as a child. And I think it, uh, it had a big impact on my self-confidence. You know, in those days, schools were not exactly diverse. Um, I was very aware of the fact that I was the only child in the whole school who didn't have two parents. That definitely shook my confidence. I suppose the way I dealt with it was that I applied myself to my academic studies. Um, I always did well at school um, and I suppose that, that was what was gratifying. I wasn't a very uh, athletic child. I had two left feet. Um, so, yes, I suppose I'd, I spent a lot of my time in my childhood studying and, and being absol- absorbed in my, my schoolwork.
1: It must have been difficult being raised by a single parent, right? Your mum. What role did she play in your upbringing?
0: My mother was, she was very strict. She had very set views about how people should behave. She had very, she was, she was a very demanding parent. Uh, if you didn't do well at school, and you, you would come home with your report. She would look at the report and she'd say, but I don't like this mark. And I'd say, well, I did my best. And she'd say, well, that's not good enough. Do someone else's best. Uh, and so she was she was a very demanding parent. But I think that uh, the other thing, apart from my political views, the other thing that I got from my mother was a very strong sense that women can do anything she really uh, conveyed that both in the way that she lived and worked and, and also in the values that she translated and um, she always said there's nothing that women can't do of course um, the world was very conservative in those days uh, most most of my friends mothers didn't work um, my mother was, was one of the few that worked and I, we used to spend school holidays at her work uh, because uh, that was where we needed to be.
1: She really had a struggle to support my brother and I. She laughs when she considers the way she handled her single mother childhood compared to her own children. She and their father separated but she tells me it doesn't seem to bother them at all. When my own children were at school where uh,
0: I once asked them, um, is it a problem that your parents are divorced? They said, why is it a problem? Everybody's divorced. (laughs) Um, So... You, you think you're compatible with people, but it doesn't turn out that way. Somebody once coined the phrase happily divorced. And um, I must say that I have a very good relationship with the father of my children. He is very close to his children. I think that we, we after we separated, we co-parented the children uh, They used to spend two nights a week with him, the rest of the week with me. I think that our aim was always to make sure that we gave them a a very stable childhood and that they should never feel that they've lost one parent. Um, So it's something that we worked on. It wasn't easy. But I think that we're proud of what we've managed to achieve. And at any stage that there's any problems, uh, I mean, obviously both, both our children are grown up now. But if there's ever any problems, we can always have a cup of of coffee together and work it out.
1: Creasy was recruited to join the ANC after she joined a conference in 1979. She remained active in the underground structures and what became the affiliates of the United Democratic Front. There were a
0: a whole series of detentions that happened in 1981. Barbara Hogan uh, was detained and sentenced to... 10 years imprisonment and a whole range of people that I knew were detained and we formed an organization called the Detainees Support Committee and that committee gradually began to work in communities across the province and ultimately across the country and through that work I met a lot of UDF activists and uh, a lot of comrades, many of whom I still know, when I left university, I first worked for the South African Students' Press Union as a journalist. And then from there, I worked for a while for Priscilla Jana, who was a, um, an attorney who was defending uh, political, uh, a- ANC cadres in political trials. Um, and then I. I was employed by an organization that was linked to the, to the civic desk of the United Democratic Front. And I started doing training and development work with civics, trade unions. And that work I continued really in one form and another up until I was elected to
1: Parliament in 1994. Before she took the position in National Cabinet, she was one of the longest-serving members of the Gauteng Legislature, voted in in the very first democratic election in 1994. It was a demanding task, especially her time as MEC for basic education. It has not always been easy for her to juggle her different roles in society.
0: The fact that you have a career doesn't mean you don't have to do all the things that women who don't work have to do. You have to do both. And so I think that, that the, the double shift is an enormous burden on women. And I think once upon a time it was considered sort of uh, clever, sexy to be balancing the two. I think now what's recognized is it's, it's hard work, it's exhausting, and uh, it really is a tremendous drain on women. Um, I mean, I was crazy because on top of all of that I also <laughs> studied for my master's full time uh, so I was running a national election I was studying full time for my master's I had two young children um, and uh, yeah Wow it was insane. This? this was oh, yeah. uh, so from 2003 to 2005 I was doing my, my uh, MSc uh, Master of Science in mm-hmm. Public Policy and Management mm-hmm. but I think that many women have to do that
1: I think it's a it's a heavy price to pay the life of a national minister is very different to that of an MEC. The shuttling between Parliament in Cape Town and Gauteng is punishing. But she tries to find time to rest. She takes a jog, swims or goes to a yoga class to unwind. And like the young Barbara Creasy, the minister still loves to read mostly inspirational biographies of leaders. When asked where she sees herself in 10 years, she hopes to find herself retired and hopefully a grandmother. The irony is not lost on Creasy, that in spite of their mom's best efforts to build and serve a better South Africa, her own son and daughter think the world is too much of a mess to have children of their own.
0: I'd quite like to be a grandmother, yes. Uh, I I don't have much hope. I mean, my children tell me that the world's in a terrible state, so they're not going to have any children.
1: (laughs) But maybe they'll they'll grow out of it. The shadows are lengthening, and the concrete steps is becoming unbearably chilly. I say goodbye to Barbara Creasy and watch her walk down the steps. A flash of red on an otherwise dull Joburg day. Thanks for joining me. Listen out for my other podcasts in this series where I sit down with Ministers Angie Moteja, Lindiwe Zulu and Stella Ndebeni-Abrams. You've been listening to an EWN podcast written by Mia Lindeki, produced by Peter Thron, subbed by Charlotte Kilbane.